Welcome to day 10 of the 12 days of podcast. This series of 12 perfect episodes is brought to you by the good people at Def Jam. Jeezy's got a new album called Pressure, which is named for how a rock turns into a diamond. Not the feeling I feel when we're trying to book guests for these 12 days of podcast. I really enjoy the album, especially track five, which has the hook. This is it. It's a hit. This is it, my G. This is it. And if you're one of those people who needs to hear lyrics to feel like an adult, look no further than track 12, American Dream, which features J. Cole rapping and Kendrick Lamar is on there too. It's snow season, better bundle up, and by that I mean buy several autographed copies of Jeezy's Pressure, now available on JeezyShop.com. Hey Jeff. Hey Eric. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm okay as well. Obviously, we're all in mourning this week over the loss of our friend Reggie Osei, better known as Combat Jack. I know a great number of you out there knew Reggie, and if you didn't get a chance to meet him personally, I know that you felt like you knew him thanks to the weekly relationship that you had when episodes of the Combat Jack show would download to your phone. The genius of the Combat Jack show was the mix of knowledge and history and atmosphere. It didn't seem like an interview show. It was like you were invited to someone's family room. Huge shouts to the entire Combat Jack Show team, including Chris Morrow, Jonathan Mena, Premium Pete, Matt Raz, Dallas Penn, DJ Benjamin, and Just Blaze. All the iterations of the show we all loved were art and will surely live on. It was wonderful to see Combat Jack as the top trend worldwide on Twitter all yesterday, as well as to see Mogul and the Combat Jack Show at the top of the iTunes charts. So let's keep revisiting the content and relishing in its timelessness. Reggie's greatness, though, went far beyond his job description. He was a good man who loved, who showed love, who looked out, who openly rooted for those who weren't even business partners with him, who was a great father, a great friend, a great leader, a great champion of all generations of hip-hop, and, at the end of the day, a great man. I hope what we can do in Reggie's name is good work. Let's be better people, better friends, better partners, and better to ourselves, all in the name of a man who never stopped dreaming and dreaming big. Long live Reggie Today on the podcast, day 10 of the 12 days of podcast, we have Lola, as in I love Lola. I love Lola too. Who talks about her journey from Albania to toronto to united states to the world at large she has worked with everybody from french montana to the weekend to the asap mob to belly to i mean just everybody she you know, worked with everybody i love lola because she like us understands how to create something out of nothing she loved music she loved these artists who weren't getting attention up in canada and decided to do something about it and she is the type of person without any type of promotional background, without any type of music experience, who jumped in the deep end and decided to make something of her life that maybe she or her family or her teachers didn't even see. And I love that she would jump on a Greyhound to come down to New York. I love how she would get on that first flight down to Atlanta, Georgia, just to politic and meet and build relationships with everyone down in that scene in New York City, up in Toronto, out in the suburbs, wherever it was, Lola made something. I feel like this episode falls into the same category as 
Wayno or Sycamore or Lenny S, somebody who is just a boss and just made things happen from a very outsider's perspective, made their way to the center of the industry. And, and is- she knows how to make careers. So yes. salute to Lola on her long career, which, by the way, we should mention, started in hip-hop journalism. So shout out to Lola, who saw an amazing piece in XXL about the game by Clover Hope and decided that that was her way in because she was so emotionally attached. When people really care about hip-hop, you see the difference it makes. Lola talks about going to SOBs for the first time here in New York City to see Big Sean kill that stage. Well, on January 10th, 2018, you guys who get inspiration from this very here podcast, all of you guys who want to be Lola's yourself, come through to our show at SOBs on January 10th, 2018, where we are going to be telling stories, where we're going to have music, where we're going to have comedy, and an unforgettable evening for you guys to meet like-minded individuals out in that audience and connect and network and link and build and all of that so get your tickets right now it's the is where they're at get your tickets before they sell out it's going to be a great event if you know our track record you know you do not want to miss this january 10th 2018 it's the get your tickets right now Jeff, when do you want to get into this podcast? In a second, I just want to say that Peter Rosenberg is going to be on the podcast tomorrow. All day right. 11. Our annual Peter Rosenberg podcast. Jeff, when do you want to get into this one with Lola? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Keep the Green in Rotation, a.k.a. Laundry Day. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Mr. Worldwide, a.k.a. Ram McNally. Hi, it's Lola from <laughs> I Love Lola. Yeah, it's a waste time, but it's the real. <laughs> Lola, what's happening? I can't get over your intros. It's so crazy. Let me let me just say, we are so happy to finally have Lola up here. Lola yeah, lives. We've been we've been talking about this for so long. A year now, I yeah. think. Lola Lola lives on the other side of town <laughs> and is here fairly often. But every time we hit her, she's like, "I'm on a plane. I'm leaving right now." And you just got back from Dubai. I did, yeah. And you have the henna on your hands I to do, prove yes, it. I do. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's fading away now. But, but it's, you had yeah. it done at the airport. Right? I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did. I didn't have time to get the girl to come to my hotel. <laughs> and so my flight was delayed and I was like, pull up to the airport. She was like, okay. It's amazing. I was like, yes. um, what were you doing out in Dubai? Uh, there's a, a sneaker convention called Soul DXB. Yes. And so I went there for Soul with Puma. So And every, everybody was out there. Biggs was out there. Don C yeah, was yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. Upscale Vandal was out yep. there. A lot of people. Mm-hmm. Pusha T, Tiana Taylor. Totally. Her. Who did you link and build with? <laughs> um, I went there to link with the Puma <laughs> Uh, international team Mm -hmm. so I really like the brand and I've been working on some stuff with them so I went there to see their installation and work with their kind of creative team a little bit we saw you at the Puma um, section of uh, Complex Complex Con Con. Mm, I was there yes 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 Yes. I was like yes I was there (laughs) well let's get right into it where are you originally from Albania okay where in Albania Uh, a small village called Hochist Small village, like how small? 2,000 people. That's small. That's yeah, really that's small. really tiny. It's like a high school. Yep. <laughs> in America, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like 2,000 people. And then I lived, I was born there and I grew up in a city close to there. Well, maybe, I don't know, 20,000 people, 100,000 people. How big know. was your family? Um, mom, dad, brother. That's it. Anybody, was your brother older than you? Yeah, two years older. And you guys were settled there for how long? Before we lived you, there. Yes, but before you moved to... I was 13, turning 14. Okay. So at that point, you speak one language, right? Two. Two. Which, I spoke Italian as well. Italian. I learned Italian by watching TV when I was little. 
What? Yeah. Um, well, so Albania was a Russian communist. Yes. Mm-hmm. Till 85. And so they didn't allow any sort of like the propaganda was the communist propaganda is like there's literally all for all, like one for all, all for one or whatever. Yep. And there's no foreign um, uh, like channels allowed and there's no religion allowed and nothing like that. And so the only channels that were allowed were two Italian channels, Rai Uno Rai Due. Um, I'm assuming, I don't know for a fact, but I'm assuming is because uh, Italy was like fascist mm-hmm. at the time. Yep. Um, and then one Greek channel and Russian channel. Wow. And so my parents speak Russian because the second language in high schools there was Russian mm-hmm. in addition to Albanian. And I grew up listening to watching the only two Italian channels because that was the easiest language to learn. Greek is like super different in yeah. writing. Like their alphabet is crazy. Yeah. And then Russian is obviously very crazy. Yeah. So, so you don't know Cyrillic. You don't know. No, yeah. I don't know none of those. But Italian was easy. You spoke Italian. Did your brother speak Italian? Yeah, my brother and I both speak fluent Italian. But your parents do not. No. So that was just watch, your little thing? We watched television. Yeah, we watched like Sailor, Sailor Moon and like all the uh, <laughs> cartoni animati, uh, animated cartoons. And so we, I learned Italian like that. So oh, wow. if, if you wanted to say something behind your parents' back, you just spoke Italian. Yeah, but we didn't. Okay, though. Okay. I, we, we were never really raised like that. We, um, Albania is like, they were very strict. My parents were very strict. So mm-hmm. I mean, there was no talking about it. it's a communist country Huh? It's a communist country. Yeah, it's a communist country. Of course it's strict. My parents grew up with, it was, when I was born, there was no communism. It was socialist and then became democratic. And I think like the transition happened really fast. And it just, I think it fucked the country over in some capacity. But um, with a lot of capacity. <laughs> yeah, the, country. Like the economy, <laughs> not great. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, but it was when my parents were growing up, it was like you speak against the government, you die, literally. And yeah. so they, they didn't, there was, you know, they didn't raise us with like dream and be all you can become and be an independent individual and believe in style and, right. you know, it's yourself. It's more like, hey, it's like, like, grow up and you're going to work at the jeans factory. Why do you not have straight A's? This is an A minus. What is going on? No, we, we well, what's going on? Yeah. We didn't have an, actually have A's. We had a hundred. We didn't have like out of t- in here you mark out of ten, right? The yeah. grade mm-hmm. in Albania was out of a hundred, so you could get like ninety-seven out of a hundred or whatever. Yeah. I had to get a hundred of a hundred. Like if I did not get out of a hundred, there was an issue. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, you were watching At too home. much Sailor Moon. <laughs> yeah, I was obviously <laughs> too much Sailor Moon. So, so you did very well in school. Then, yeah, yeah, I but had not perfect. Per- no, perfect. Oh, you no, did. no, I was perfect. Oh, you did. Oh no, I was perfect. Yeah, I came when I first moved to Canada uh, I was in grade 8 a second half of grade eight and I won a speech even though I didn't speak English I wrote a speech and <laughs> I learned English when I came here but I spoke like I had learned English from English books from England whoa doesn't make sense like the so, Queen's like yeah Queen's like English. proper proper English so to try to verbalize something that's so proper into ebonics in a way like in slang is really difficult as a 13 year old kid so <laughs> I would say things to people that I thought was proper speaking and then they wouldn't understand and then when they would say things to me I just didn't get it and Holy it was cow. even more difficult so in my head I'm trying to translate like you say something in English I translate it in my head in Albania then I think of what I want to say in Albania then translate it back in English and say it back to you okay. everything is a math problem yeah, basically yes yeah. so but in writing it was easy for me because I knew how to write English yeah. so I wrote um, I wrote a speech and I won a speech contest in grade 8 at the end of grade 8 and I also won like a mathematics contest when Whoa. I was in grade 8 I was really smart wow yeah so, uh, so what happened smart. I don't know America <laughs> happened yeah. North America happened. Everybody here is dumb. I'm just joking. <laughs> when you mean in this room, yes. Uh, <laughs> no, What, very what language do you dream in? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's just pictures, really. It's Whoa. visuals. It's no words. Wow. When I dream. So 13 is a really rough age to move at. Period. Yeah. And you're moving across the world. Mm-hmm. What necessitated that that move? 
Um, war of '97. Mm-hmm. Uh, there yeah, was a civil, yeah, yeah, that was a civil war. Yeah. Um, there was a civil war '97 because of the permit schemes in Albania, and so the country kind of revolted against the government because they lost all their money in permit schemes, and then uh, the the people like the civil people uh broke into like the armories and shit and took the tanks and the guns and started just firing out in the air if this was like a video segment i could literally send you guys clip and you clips and you could see people like shooting up in the air yeah um and then in 98 there was a kosovo war that yep. nato went in so in november of 98 is when we actually moved to canada when everything starts sort of falling to shit mm-hmm. what is your mind state like like you've never seen anything like this before no but it was like it was poor, right? So you just, well, it's poor only because I know better. Back then, I didn't know any different. And that mm-hmm. was just a standard way of life. Like, I never had a car, never had a phone, never had any, like, the means of transportation would be you walk to the nearest bus stop in the city, which is by the market, and then from there, you take one bus to the village, and that's how I went to see my grandparents. I don't know any different. I don't know of cell phones or telephones or car. Like, of course, there's cars, but right. not like, you know, in, it's a luxury that. yeah it's a luxury like if yeah. you had a car you're either a politician or a drug dealer like you know or or you like i don't know what is it called when they um take people and sell them across the country or another oh, country uh like, like a human trafficking human traffic. yeah. there you go so you were a <laughs> oh. drug dealer politician human trafficker well <laughs> yeah so so when your parents were talking about you know dream big <laughs> yeah. Those were not their, yeah they were that's not what they were talking about yeah so um I mean, I'm painting my country in a, in a bad light, but like, it, I was, I was happy. I was very, very, very happy because I was oblivious to there was a bigger world outside of right, that, you know. Right. And so, um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I that's. I'm sure your parents thought differently. They were mm-hmm. probably like, "This is not great." Yeah, no, they. I'm sure my dad had been to Holland before, and I'm sure they knew, but I just didn't. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't know it of any different. And to me, that was a great place to be in. So when people started like, and I don't think at 13. Kids now at 13 know more than I know at fucking 32. So, but at 13, I did not know how a person could die. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know the, 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 what a, a gunshot does to you or what a bullet does to you. And so you see people with guns firing in the air. It's like fireworks. You don't know. Like, I'm a, I'm a dumb little, th- I'm like a book smart, but not life smart 13 year old kid because I'm watching movies about, you know they're all very censored, and there's not, you know, there's not all the things that you. Say. I'm not. We're not exposed to all the things that everybody's exposed to here. There's no internet. There's no computers. There's no searching. There's none of that. So when I'm seeing somebody with guns or somebody firing guns in the air, I'm not thinking, "Oh my God, we're all gonna die." Like, you think it's crazy. more fun thing? I'm think no. I'm just thinking, okay, well, this is just what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's just what it is. So how did your parents break it to you that you were? Not just leaving, but going to Canada. Well, they we had applied for. It's like an immigration process that you apply for um, to come to Canada, and they had. They it was between Canada and New Zealand, but wow. both of the programs needed um, somebody like a relative to welcome you in the country, and so we didn't have anybody in New Zealand, so we came to Canada. Um, Where you did have relatives. We did have like a cousin, a distant cousin. Yeah. Um, and they waited for us, and they like signed off that they were welcoming us in the country, and so we kind of stayed with them in the very beginning, and. Then we moved into a, a basement apartment and then my parents worked their way up from there uh, you went to toronto toronto yes and what outside is- of toronto mississauga for anybody from toronto listening to this <laughs> yeah it's a mississauga because they we don't want to make start it any shit. right yeah right. i don't want to start shit either right. well, i've yeah. said people are like i've met somebody recently who's like oh you're from toronto what part and i'm like mississauga and they're like that's not really toronto and i'm like 
It is. <laughs> but I'm not going to argue with you. Sure. Yeah. Mississauga. So, what, yes. What is Mississauga like? Mississauga is a suburb. It's like Jersey. Mm -hmm. So, there's really just like you go to school, you go home. There's Does wide streets. Does it smell streets. like Jersey? No. Okay. <laughs> so no. Then it's not I mean, really a fair Can comparison. Like Canada yeah. does not smell like America. <laughs> so, we're very. <laughs> Everybody here is going to be like, get out. <laughs> Go back to your own country. We don't want you. Go find your distant cousins. Yes. <laughs> Did you have Canadian pride like from the very beginning? No. Uh, I think that kind of grows. I think pride is something that you... I don't even... I, I didn't even have Albanian pride. Because mm. I, I would meet other Alba Albanians and be like, yes, Albania to the death of me. And then I have Albanian tattoos and Albanian... Well, how big rings. of an Action Bronson fan are you? I'm a huge... He's an amazing person, and mm. I love him as a person. Because I he's Albanian. As <laughs> I, no, I love him as a person, period. He might like me You're because I'm Albanian. Pride, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm actually Bronson Pride. I'm not Albanian. But I do support, I love seeing other Albanians. Like uh, My biggest role model was Mother Teresa, though, not mm. really like oh popular God. culture. You really had to like aim high. That's, like, yeah, that's, like, my, that's my Albanian. Like When I think of Albanian influential people, that's the person that I'm thinking of, mm -hmm. right? But there's, of course, a lot of Albanian people in the, uh, in the arts, like Eliza Dushku and yeah. uh, Action Bronson and Rita Ora and uh, what's the other... Um, uh, what Barack Obama. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, no, there's uh, the new girl, Dua Lipa and Bebe Rexa and those mm -hmm. are all Albanian, right? Yeah. And so there's uh, there's Dafina Zachiri. So there's a few Albanians that have like, um, that have advanced in the arts, but my personal role model is Mother Teresa. So that's my Albanian pride. It's not about waving a flag or representing a certain color or just really fucking with somebody simply because they're Albanian. Right. So I, I do want to encourage them and support them, but it's not really how I've been. So I wasn't like that about Albanians. I wasn't like that about Canadians either, though. Mm -hmm. When I do see a fellow Canadian, I'm like, yay, yeah. <laughs> we're Canadian. Were there any traditions that your parents kept up from Albania? that you continued in Toronto? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Nope. No, no, no shooting guns in the air. No, nah, my yeah, parents, yeah. My, like I said, my parents were very uh, reserved. So that was never really our, even like when I think that was a point where like everybody was like arming themselves for protection. Yeah, my yeah, dad yeah. was like, nope, no guns in the house. Like wow. that's not something that we do. In America? No, <laughs> in America, I don't know what he would do. But in Canada, he's definitely not doing that. Right. And so, what is high school like in Toronto for you? Well, it was a little bit well, tougher. outside of Toronto. Oh, yeah, sorry, Mississauga. Mississauga, yes. in Mississauga yeah, yeah. for me. Um, it was cool. It was difficult because it was... Um, I think that... And it wasn't just because I was Albanian coming into it. Well, the, at first, the difficulty was getting along with people from Eastern Europe. Because mm -hmm. when I moved to Canada in 98, that's when NATO went in in the Kosovo war with Serbia. So all the Macedonian kids and the Serbian kids that were really have family being killed back home had some sort of a resentment towards mm. me. And I'm from the south of Albania. It's literally 20 minutes from the Greek border. So wow. I'm Greek Orthodox. I am literally not in the north. I don't have family fighting. I don't have, but at the same time, I completely understand their resentment. And so I did have a few kids in school who were um, from other Eastern European countries that felt some type of way and kind of mocked me simply really? because I was Albanian. Yeah. And so I, that kind of sucked because I didn't know. I didn't. I think I was too young and too uneducated to really understand what was going on. Um, so I, I resented them and I was really mad at them and I felt really like upset and felt like I was being bullied, which I was. Uh, but yeah understand I, I didn't try to understand where they were coming from you know so I kind of I feel well I, I don't think that's easy for a 14 year old to yeah. sort of like you know understand the other side I think that now I think 
because 14 most 14 year olds can kind of google everything that they want to know about the world um it wasn't actually until much years later where i took the time to sit down and research what had really happened in albania that i understood what the civil war was i had a completely different understanding of it when i was living it um and what like how everything happened and stuff so it was all asking my parents and then researching the doc like the information afterwards so yeah now kids can can just google it right yeah what the fuck is going on in the world? <laughs> <laughs> Get um, some answers. <laughs> so you, you're you now in Mississauga, and what pop culture are you really grasping onto? Oh, uh, goth. Really? Goth. Yeah. Uh, Limp Bizkit, Nirvana, Blink-182, um, Papa Roach. Wow. Papa Roach um, is so Slipknot, dark. Slipknot. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, Green Day. Uh, Did oh you see God. any of them live? Yeah, my first concert ever was Blink-182. Though I know that to the hard rock culture, they're more like the popular punk. Like if yeah. you if you like rock music, Blink-182 is not your like like favorite act because yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, they're commercial punk. But they were running things. They were. Yeah. For like 16-year-old kids, like, yeah. And I yeah. was 16. I went to my first co- concert in the Molson Amphitheater. Um, I was so excited. I used to wear really baggy, flared pants. Like, really <laughs> baggy. I used to wear black chokers and, like, blue and purple lipstick. Wow. Yeah, I was... Your parents was, were like, what has this country done to you? <laughs> my parents... Oh, my God. God bless their soul. <laughs> I love them so much. I literally... Every every time I see a, a 16-year-old kid lashing out, I look at them and I'm like, I love you so much. <laughs> I'm so sorry for what I put you through, you poor things. Well, be- beyond your dress, did you start rebelling like as a as a Canadian? No, I I still listen to my. Do Canadians rebel? Like, yes, we rebel. It's <laughs> yeah. like a very nice society. Everybody's yeah. like we are, know. but like I just didn't. Uh, my parents just were more like we don't understand why you have to go to the movies and why is it important to go to the movies with your friends and why is it important like to go clubbing or whatever, which other kids did. And it wasn't okay. So for a lot of immigrant kids. There's no such thing. Well, maybe now. I don't know. But when I came in, it was like you have the typical like the Canadian kids who have born different races, just Canadian kids Mm -hmm. um, who are really born in this country and they know they understand like they have a they have a common sense of upbringing. right? Right. They grew up with the same means um they grew up with the same influence like they're influenced by the same things they shop at the same grocery stores some of them probably went to elementary school together or whatever right whereas Mm -hmm. i came in in grade eight i didn't know and so i switched friends a lot like one time i was friends with this group and then this group of kids so when i was like 15 i hung out with like the goth kids and then at 16 i hung out with like the gino kids gino's like the dance music the super crazy heavy house edm yeah, so I was into that for a while. I used to wear eyeshadow up to my like eyebrows and Jesus Christ. And yeah, I was into that. You that were doing scene a lot for of looks. Yeah, I was into like different scenes. I was trying to fit in really bad. I didn't know what was cool. And I was just trying to be a part of like anything that accepted me really. You were a high schooler. Um, I was a high schooler, yeah. You were yeah. at Hot Topic. Yeah, I was just like, and it's funny because I know that uh, I was popular because I was not one of those kids that had two signatures on the yearbook. Like I had to add, I looked at my yearbooks uh, when I was in Toronto last week, two mm-hmm. weeks ago, and I had to add extra pages to my yearbook, yearbook because I was friends with everybody. That's dope. Like I knew everybody in the school, but it was hard to have, You, the cool kids were still the kids that were like, genuinely knew each other and from like time and they did things together and they like went over to each other's houses and like ate popcorn and watched movies and like the immigrant kids didn't really do that you know mm. what I mean so it's like they had curfews their parents didn't let them hang out after a certain time so you like you went to the mall at, at noon on Sundays yeah. or like at the movies at noon you didn't really like 
go to people's houses and stuff and you didn't really do cool shit and so then you see the other kids and then you're like oh they're so cool yeah. so um that was the kind of life that i wanted to be a part of more so than just have no everybody in the high school but i did right. i was very social i still am and i was friends with everybody reading through that yearbook uh the last time you were in canada did you see all the ones that were like never change and you're just like oh <laughs> no i didn't read really through them i didn't want to because i was just like oh my god i'm so stupid i was like what this is so like I, I think that, you know, and it's funny because I say this to like all the young, I say it on my Instagram often and I just, I just try to make young people understand that like you don't have to change, mm -hmm. but that desire to fit in is so, so, so strong. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading, I'm looking back at some of my pictures and I'm like, I didn't need to do all this. Like I could have just really been a hermit. I mm -hmm. could have been I didn't even have to dress a certain way, listen to a certain type of music. I mean, mind you, I wouldn't be who I am today. Well, that's exactly it. But I didn't have to go through the stress of feeling inadequate simply because I didn't hang out with some kids after school. You know what I mean? Right. I didn't go to the movies after school with my friends. That's um, perspective that you have now, though. So it's hard I know, to, I know, but it's, just, it's just hard to like when I see young kids struggling, feeling like they have to fit up, you know, in, in a certain culture. It's like you really, really don't. And so when I read back those yearbooks, I look at how in my opinion how lame I was for trying to fit in and I'm like Lola <laughs> I don't even want to read this it's so embarrassing you know um did you go to college yes I went to university oh I'm sorry yes yes <laughs> sorry it is a difference yeah, in yeah. Canada yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's a difference between yeah. university and college uh where did you go to university uh Kitchener uh Laurier University in Kitchener and what was that for sociology and what did you expect to get out of that no clue. <laughs> uh, I it was just like this is like a thing, and I'm gonna just. Well, yeah, this is. I was yeah. just like it was finished high school. Psychology. And then, yeah, I went for psychology. Didn't like it. It was too hard. Actually, I was like, <laughs> "Fuck this! I'm going for sociology." <laughs> so my my first semester, I think uh, curriculum counted towards sociology. So I was just like, "Whoops, switching over. This is too difficult." <laughs> Eight a.m. classes, all yeah. this reading material. With like not three hundred people in the class. Yeah, yeah. like mm, I was like, "I'm yeah. not doing this. It's too much." So I went to sociology. Social was the easiest one. Everybody takes social. Mm -hmm. so, Did you enjoy it? No, I didn't enjoy it. I fucking hate that shit. But, but um, I honestly and truly, I I remember going into one of my really really old emails, and I read a paper that I submitted in my third year university, and I sat there and I said, "Who the fuck passed me, and why?" Because this shit is fucking whack. Like, really? to know to to read back my interviews from Hip Hop Canada and mm -hmm. see how awesome I was at asking the right questions and interviewing people and how people paid me to write their biographies and press releases and then to read my university papers and see how whack they were. <laughs> I was like, why? It was paragraphs that had nothing to do with one another. I was not <laughs> making any sense. Right. I don't know. Like, it was not consecutive thought. What it was not arguing, thorough. Yeah. I don't know what I was arguing. I was just writing. I was just talking just to talk. I don't know. It was just, I, I'm reading the paper and I'm just like, this is unreal. However, I did recently read something I wrote in grade um, 10, I think, and it was my careers class. And it was what I wanted to be when I was older. Um, and I looked at, they make you do like this, like a personality test, mm -hmm. of like what's out of the brain you use more. Are mm -hmm. you creative? Are you more business driven? And so I was on the creative side and it said that what I would do be, would be like a tattoo artist or a uh, writer 
or human trafficker nope <laughs> that wasn't on there um that's there was the right side of the brain. that was yeah Albania. that was definitely more right uh or i don't know which side i don't yeah, yeah, i even yeah. know which side of the brain but it was more on the creative side and then i wrote i like there were certain things like that i wrote what inspired me what i liked clothes fashion music and i'm just like wow i actually haven't changed much that is very cool uh i had, yeah. a, I had a friend in high school whose brother took one of those uh tests and it said that he was going to become become a farmer and he works in like you know uh farming finance oh <laughs> no so, mine is mine was very spot on like even the things that i liked and then i read that i learned how to type when i was 16 i was like wow i really <laughs> i can't even imagine i thought if you think about typing i type so fast that Prove i think it. i was Prove it right now <laughs> give me your computer <laughs> i just i think that i was just always knew how to type like i can't even imagine can you think of the day that you did not know how to type because i can't think of when that was uh probably like fifth or sixth grade i think they started we had a typing class like in school i feel like we learned like qwerty and all that you yeah know, but stuff. my my point is do you remember not knowing how to type i think so i I'm, don't remember i'm also the guy who types with two fingers but does it very fast very oh fast. no i type with my eyes closed like i'm just <laughs> literally just like i type as fast as i talk so i when if you're talking i'm like mm, yeah. <laughs> i'm typing but i just cannot remember the moment in my life when I did not know how to type. It's been so ingrained. I'm, yeah. Like it's such a part of my life that mm -hmm. I just don't even remember when that was. So reading back that grade 10 book of, I learned how to type this year, I accomplished a few things and one of those was to learn how to type. Wow. I was like, did you have a flip phone at any point? Yeah, at 14, I and think. Or could 15. you, yeah, at 14, were you like, like, like you didn't even have to look at it, you could just like, no, no, text no, no, with your no, thumb. no, no, definitely. Like you just like one, two, three, one, two. No, no, like, no, I wasn't good. I wasn't like, no. I had a sidekick. I was good with a sidekick. <laughs> Because the sidekick flipped up and then it had the whole like keyboard and yep. you felt the keys. Yep. It was lit. And then you just closed it with one hand <laughs> and just, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, what was your first job? Uh, and I worked at an A&W in Country Style. Wow. Mm -hmm. What was your for, job there? I was a server. Okay. So I worked there for four years. Just learned that uh, server is actually above hostess. Well, we, a and W doesn't really have hosts and servers. You, you serve wherever. burgers. Oh, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, like, it's but it's like a it's a joint. it's like a drive-through sort of thing. Well, we had no. See, that's in America. In Canada, it was uh it was just a burger joint. It's like Burger King or McDonald's, and mm -hmm. it was a a coffee shop and a burger joint combined together. Whoa. Mm -hmm. So we serve coffee and burgers. So if you wanted and, to get and root beer and root beer. Yeah. So if you wanted to get a burger with coffee instead of root beer, we could do that. We could. <laughs> wow. We could combo you guys that can do anything you. up there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. So by at the end of college, where, where was your head at in terms of where you wanted to go for a career? Oh, um, well, I knew that I wasn't going to go to school, for going to get a job in sociology. That's for sure. Right. I started um, writing for hip. I did my first show in Kitchener where I was going to school when I was 20. Uh, that was my second year of university. Mm -hmm. And who was at that show? A couple of local people. Mm -hmm. Like I was and it wasn't anybody. I just had met some local artists that I thought were cool. And at the time I was like, wow, you make amazing music. Um, you should be famous. And they were like, well, it's not easy to get famous. You know, you need like a record on the radio. And I was like, why don't you just send the song to the radio? And they're like, well, it's not that easy. And then I was like, well, why don't you do a show? They're like, well, nobody wants to book us. I'm like, you really did okay. dream big, though. Really? Yeah. Because I, mean, I, I just, think about that, like because it takes a lot to be like, hey, you should be bigger than you are. Instead of just saying like, yeah, I just, I just was like, I, I think that when you're a fan, you're oblivious to how things work. So you're just thinking if you're a musician and it took, it took me a few years to understand that everybody just called themselves a musician. <laughs> but at the you're time, you're talking to two of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
stupid at the time. I just didn't know. I just thought, okay, if you're a musician and you make music and I can hear it, it's a tangible asset. Why are you not famous? Why are you not doing shows? Why am I not seeing you in concert? But I'm seeing, I don't know, whatever, whoever was at Papa the time. Roach, Pop, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, Papa Roach yeah. or Blink-182. Yeah. Like, what's the difference between you and them? Mm-hmm. So I just, I didn't know that people could just make music in their basement or they had a record. Like, I just assumed if you had music means you were a musician. If you're a musician, you should be on the radio or you should be touring. That's how I saw it. Mm -hmm. So when they're saying things like, well, it's not easy, why is it not easy? Why can't you just do a show? And so they were like, well, you know, we don't have bookings. Okay, well, we can go rent this venue and we pay the fee and then we book you as an act and maybe we get some other act and we get some break dancers or some cool kids that are dancing and then maybe I'll call, I called Universal Records Canada and I was like, hi, I'm doing a show in Kitchener Waterloo and I need some promo material, some like gear, some just like CDs and stuff. They're like, yeah, sure, we'll ship it over. I called United Way and I was like, hey, um, we wanna, I want to give you some money. Can I spot can i partner you with my event they're like sure called hmv which was like our music mm-hmm. uh stores and they were like sure we'll send you some promotional material and ta-da i had an hmv universal canada partnered events so all of a sudden it was like a big event you're 20 <laughs> yeah i mean 20 but i was i had been in canada for five years six years at this point right yeah. so it's like it wasn't about that it 20 year old kids now do some crazy shit totally but it was just more so about i had no idea what i was doing i just said why why I not? Don't know. Why not? Like right. I don't know. I which went. Is, which is the best? I literally way. just went to the venue. Loose Change Louis is where everybody partied. That's what it was called. Loose Change Louis. Okay. We all went there on Thursday nights and got drunk. So I <laughs> went there and I said, I want to speak to the manager. Hey, manager, I want to book your venue for an event. What? How do I do it? And they said, Well, we do a bar minimum of two thousand dollars. You make the bar minimum. You don't pay me anything. You don't make the bar minimum. You pay the difference. Great. So all I got to do is getting pe- people in here and get them drunk. Awesome. Yeah. Easy. So you just kind of learn, right? So I feel with. Everybody now being like, well, how did you do it? Oh, my God, you're thinking like big. I was like, I said this recently to somebody. Actually, was it Jackie? Was it you? I think I sent it to, sorry, Jackie's my, <laughs> Jackie, my team is here. I said, it doesn't matter where you start, just start, Absolutely. right? Mm. And it's like, sometimes you just think, I have so much to do. Oh, my God, you end up doing nothing because you think you have so much to do, right? right. And you just lay on the couch and be like, oh, I'm just going to do it later. I don't know where to start. Agreed. I have so much of The Office to watch. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> I don't watch The Office. Oh, I should. I have so much of Degrassi to watch. <laughs> I haven't watched a lot of Degrassi either. Sailor Moon. Yeah. Yes. So much Sailor Moon. That's a reference that we can appreciate. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's just you just start somewhere. So for me, it was like, okay, I want to do this. Where do I start? Start with space first. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of build up from there and I built it and all of a sudden people were referring to me as this promoter from Kitchener Waterloo and he which I love by the way it's not like you had to go to the big city to make it happen there you were just doing this where well I created a niche what I didn't realize I was doing at the time was that I created a niche in a market that was not saturated right at the time Toronto was obviously the hub this is where everybody wanted to be um but how do you start in Toronto how do you know what's cool in Toronto I don't even live in Toronto I live in Mississauga so I don't know what the hot spots are I only knew the clubs that I went to you know when people other people took me so in Kitchener that's where I partied that's where I went to school Waterloo sorry yeah that's where I went to school um so I knew where where, where to go on Thursdays I knew where to go on Wednesdays I knew where to go on Saturdays so I knew where people hung out and so I kind of went with what I knew but without realizing it I built kind of like a marketplace and so all of a sudden tours were happening across Canada and people were like yeah reach out to this promoter in Kitchener Waterloo in the Tri-City Tri-State and whatever and I was like 
okay, <laughs> sure, that's me. So you made the $2,000 for the guy? No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't? Absolutely not. But, I tanked it. I made, I had to come up with like $1,000. My phone bill for traveling to the US was another $1,000. Hmm. I lost so much money. <laughs> but And I failed four courses that semester. But all that didn't stop you. No, why would it stop me? Right. I mean, I just discovered what I discovered through that show was that I got Hip Hop Canada to sponsor. And at the time, Hip Hop Canada was like the biggest. It was like the Canadian holy grail for rap music. Mm -hmm. And so when I was reading their interviews and aesthetically and creatively and just content wise what they were doing, I, I remember re reaching out to one of my friends and I said, yeah, sir, I really my dream is to write for Hip Hop Canada. And he was like, what? And I was like, that is my goal. That is my dream. I want to write for Bob Canada. He was like, okay. <laughs> Hold on, let me just call Jesse. Yeah. Like, you want to intern? Like, okay, I got you. Um, and I got a college radio show, in, I mean, a university radio show as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I learned how to produce a radio show by myself. Um, I was very proud of that. I still have the CDs of the music I played. What very was your on-air name? Uh, no, I didn't have an owner. No. It was like a semester of having a radio. It was like Lola has a radio show. Type yeah. of thing. Not, nothing crazy. Name. Yeah. Yeah. Lola, I love Lola's just, radio show. Yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't I Love Lola at the time. It became, I became I Love Lola later after yeah. that. But yeah, yeah I just had a show and it was cool because I remember having Cardi Nalavishal, who was really, really big. Yeah. Um, he called in once oh. and I had a bunch of other rappers call in. And I'm like, wow, how did I even get all these people back then? I was nobody. Um, <laughs> but did you know them? I mean, or I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. I don't know how they even got on my show. I just remember <laughs> Cardi calling in one day. Um, it wasn't like Eric pretending to be Cardi. <laughs> no, it wasn't him. It was definitely Cardi. I've, I've known Cardi for a few years, for a long time yeah. now. So yeah, um, I think maybe through writing for Pop Canada, I really mm -hmm. don't remember how some of these guests got on my show, um, but they did. And, and I started writing for Pop Canada and I was working at, I was making subs on campus for a subway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Were you good? I was pretty good. This Though was, I worked in pajamas. This was you cut almost all the way through the loaf or this was when they did it like in a V? There's no V. You <laughs> cut through the loaf. That's it. <laughs> but yes, I was working at subway on campus and then I was working at a bank off campus, mm -hmm. um, Scotia Bank. And then I was working at A&W Country Style still in back home in Toronto. You were doing all three jobs at the same time? Five. And then I was you working. Were such an immigrant. And then I was working at Topshop, which was a bootleg Topshop. It wasn't the real one. Okay. It was called Limite, but it, it was a different <laughs> brand in Square One, which is a mall that was by my house. And then I also worked at a bank, the wow. same bank, but in Toronto. So I worked part-time shifts wherever I was needed. And then I did the interviews for Bob Canada. Holy shit! Yeah. Holy shit! So your parents thought at this time what? That I was just going through university. Like they're like, oh, she's gonna get a job, and like, should they? Th it, this was a hobby. They didn't even know what I did. Like, that, I didn't even keep them involved during the loop. Like, they didn't know. They, I was just doing this on my own. I would do interviews over the phone. So I'd be. I remember this one specific occasion. I was interviewing Chameleon Air, and I was working at Topshop. Uh, well, let's say Limite in Square One in the mall, yeah. and um, my interview was set for two p.m. So I set up my lunch break, and so the interview would be Universal Canada would say we have a time slot for interviews. You can get this slot. So I said I can do 2 p.m. to whatever p.m. Because I worked at the store, it was like a clothing store. I was like, hey, I'm taking my lunch break at 2. I remember going outside in the parking lot and doing the interview with Camille over the phone. Mm. And then going back to my shift. And then go getting home after my shift. And then transcribing, transcribing. the interview wow. and submitting it the very next day. Wow. And then I went to work the day after. And then another interview. At first, they were like Jesse, who runs about Canada. At first, Jesse was, was assigning me artists that were not anywhere like they were not popping they didn't have any material they would literally the way people send press because i became the writing director after a while and mm -hmm. i was the one that was getting all the press kits um people would just send like you know physical press kits yeah at the time so it was like cds with like a pamphlet and like press or whatever and so you'd get these press kits 
and that is all you know about the artist that is it so you got to come up with your own questions you have to figure out how to do cool enough interview right i was like nope no problem. I will interview. I will make an amazing article out of this. And so then I went, I, you know, I kind of worked my way up and I, and I started interviewing the bigger acts after. Who were some of your favorite interviews at the time? Oh my God. Tony Yeo interview was lit. <laughs> I love that interview. In person or? No, it was over the phone. Uh -huh. and it's actually available on YouTube. It's on oh. like an old channel of mine. <laughs> I, I heard it. And I was like, yo, I was so brazen. I had some fire shit. I had some pretty like, I, I didn't realize how, um, confrontational i was when i was asking my questions like i didn't know how to i didn't have a filter so mm -hmm. i kind of just ask whatever what i would wouldn't ask know him? i don't remember <laughs> you have to go read the go yeah. uh listen to the interview okay. actually <laughs> no but i and even like with like i remember asking cardi a bunch of questions and i read the interview back and i was like wow i would put people on the spot um i recently saw ti in a studio in atlanta in uh, la and i was like you know i interviewed you like 10 years ago and i asked you some <laughs> questions that kind of i thought you wanted to kill me <laughs> it's like what you asked me i was like mm, it's okay no, let's, not, let's not talk about that did you think that there was a long future for you in hip-hop journalism after that yeah hell yeah i yeah. wanted to be like uh there's a writer by the name of clover hope yeah um, yeah oh my god of course i don't know her personally oh, but she, writes she lives in new york jezebel yeah. now right yeah mm -hmm. yeah so she wrote an article on uh, Double XL about for the uh, about the game. Mm -hmm. It was a game cover on Double XL. I cried on the plane reading that article. Uh -huh. I cry about every time I read about successful stuff or like people who made it and like just shit that touches you. Like even like sick kids, puppies, like or like people who just accomplished what they wanted. Like you're know, always crying. I'm like I get I just choke up yeah. with excitement and like just I feel passionate about it. Right. So she wrote this article about um, about the game and I literally was like crying on the plane i was like i love her i want to be like her wow. so and i remember being like sending all my interviews and my clips and everything to like journalists and editors in, in the states and i never got any position as a writer up here which kind of sucked that so. does suck so yeah. then what was the backup i didn't have a backup i just it wasn't like i didn't have a plan of i want to be the best i just wanted to write i just loved writing and then it went from because i became kind of like the it writer in toronto it it, it was um he got to the point where Canadian artists wanted to be interviewed by me because being interviewed by me put them on mm -hmm. kind of um, thing. So they would come and drop me off their press kits or be like, hey, can we do an interview together? And then if they didn't get an interview with me, they'd be like, can we hire you to write our biography? And I'm like, okay. So you're living in Toronto at the time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what's the scene like at that time? Well, I mean, there's a lot of, there was a lot of uh, younger artists coming up that are not really so much around anymore mm -hmm. they're not really making music anymore but it was bubbling it was just more um the hip-hop that was coming out at the time was very um i want to say new york influenced mm -hmm. and i think that the trouble that a lot of artists had was that I, their portrayal of the hard times in toronto or in canada were not coming across in the u.s because everybody sees canada as this peaceful land and there are situations where i mean i don't know if you guys have heard recently there's been some serious shit going down in the streets in toronto yeah, and so yeah. but Again, because it was on social media, no way to find out about it. You didn't really know. People didn't really take trips to Toronto to be like, yo, let me go see the streets and mm -hmm. see the scene. And so when you have these Canadian rappers thinking that, well, if New York artists are talking about it and Atlanta artists are talking about it, why can't we talk about it? And Americans are like, the hood... Seriously, <laughs> you're from Canada, bro. We had Go Director your, X on, yeah, and, like, and he said that there was like direct like lyrics that were just like about the New York City suburbs. He was just like, why, why do I hear this up here? Yeah, exactly. And so, but it was about New York City suburbs, and then some people really try to talk about what they were going through. But again, it didn't come across because people think Canada is peaceful and happy, and generally it is. So, 
um, the, the audience, the wider audience or the commercial audience or the average fan was not connecting. If they're going to listen to Jay-Z, why are they going to listen to ex-artists coming mm -hmm. from Toronto right. talking about Toronto hardships? They're not from Toronto. Toronto has, I mean, Canada has 30 million people in total. Even if everybody in Canada listened to you, it still wouldn't be enough. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To, to, be, to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with somebody in the States. Mm -hmm. So even if everybody in Canada could relate to your lyrics, people in the U.S. and globally probably couldn't because they were not. Whereas certain things in New York, like Brooklyn and the Bronx, have become historical spots that everybody wants, to, whether they lived it or not, they feel like they can relate to you because they can they know the places. Right. Canada didn't really have a spotlight or Toronto didn't have a spotlight like that on it. And mm -hmm. so nobody could relate to what Canadian artists were saying at the time. Did you go to any of the battles, like the King of the Dot? Yeah, yeah, I've been to, I've went to a couple. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I've i interviewed a lot of those artists way, way early on. So um, Bishop Brigante, <laughs> long, long time friend, been known him for a minute, yeah. you know? And so, yeah. Um, how does everything change once Drake puts out uh, October's very own? Oh my God. Once Drake, Drake had released music. Drake was making music in Canada. One, once Drake received international recognition and success, that's when everybody started looking at Canada different. I mean, you have to keep in mind, Belly was making music before that as well, yeah. and he had been winning Junos, and he was traveling in the US, and um, it was still, it was kind of like, the commercial success is still really hard to achieve um, with international audiences. So when, when Drake was able, got that recognition, it was like a victory for the whole country, because then everybody was like, this guy came out of Canada. <laughs> Toronto got this kind of talent. What's what else is out there? You know, and so it it put a spotlight on the city. Beyond the the double XLs and the vibes and the complexes, like what did you know the new music cartel with like you know Na Right and Misinfo mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I love Lola dot net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in there too. Don't, but, but don't leave did, me behind. But but no, clearly. But what did the what did the with all due respect to you know to you Lola, and yeah. Canada, um, what what did the the blogs that were centered in the U.S. mean? Oh my God, he meant everything. Artists would want to pay me just to get them on the blogs. And I'm like, I do not compromise <laughs> content for money. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, it meant like being on Tudor Boys meant a cosign, meant mm -hmm. like you made it, you know? So people s strived for that. I, I came working in media and working in PR, came to realize that a simple posting, it doesn't mean shit. It doesn't have to be on, on the New Music Cartel. It doesn't have to be on, even if it is on sorry, New Music Cartel or Pitchfork or Vibe or XXL or whatever. If the people who are writing about it don't genuinely fuck with you, it kind of comes across, you know? And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I mean, but but at the time, getting on those blogs was everything. It was more important than being on the Vibe. Being on XXL and Vibe was like, if you had no other content to back it up, it was pointless. So right. your first step was in your music cartels because at the time, they were the connoisseurs. Mm -hmm. Magazines did pieces because they did pieces. But those were the connoisseurs of music. That's what differentiated like people fucking with you versus people not fucking with you. So when I wrote for Smoking Section, for example, mm -hmm. I was writing for Hip Hop Canada, Swag News at the time, um, this other magazine, Cream Cream World magazine, Smoking Section, some magazine in LA. I was contributing to like a bunch of like underground magazines and Smoking Section was like the spot uh, John Gotti, love him, yeah, yeah. love him to mm -hmm. death. John never compromised. He was like, the, the way he ran Smoking Section was that if you fucked with it and you felt passionate about it, go ahead, write about it. And that's how I felt about when I did my blog. It was, I wanted to write, all the writers that I, or the bloggers that I brought in was, if you, I don't care if it's corny, I don't care if it's whack. If you like it and you can justify posting about it, then you go ahead and post about it. And I would, I remember um, traveling to Atlanta in 2006 or 2008, 2006. And um, 
staying there for a minute for like six months and I remember going to see Yellow Wolf at uh, Lenny's Lenny's pub um, and I was like I was mind blown his performance was, was amazing I had known about him long time ago um, I'm in a while before that but I never seen him perform and I was like yo he's amazing and I'm like John can I write about it Gotti can I write about it and he was like hell yeah hmm. if you fuck with it go ahead I recently just tweeted something actually I I found an interview I did with a dream 10 years ago on Whoa. smoking section Whoa. and I was like yo mind blown like that was so long ago where yeah. the fuck did the years go but so uh even bob i saw bob perform at the underground and again like 10 years ago and i was like i want to write about him tj's djs was managing him or yeah. he's managing him i was like yo i want to i want to write about him he's like yo come through at the underground check him out i was like bob i love he had i'll be in the sky was the song that he was promoting mm -hmm. a long time ago yeah so i was like i want to write about him and john Gotti was like fuck yeah whatever you feel like go ahead so who are some of the executives that you met down in Atlanta? Did you meet KP? Did you meet? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've known KP for a minute. Jason Jeter, Chaka mm -hmm. Zulu, um, Polo the Dawn. Like, I pretty much that, that I don't want to say old, but like that like originator vibe of creatives and management that was at the time in Atlanta. Those are all very good friends of well, mine. Why were you down in Atlanta in the first place? Because Atlanta was, was popping. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I didn't know if, that, if there was anything. Because you said like I oh, was no, down so, in Atlanta for a minute. So I would... When I, okay, so there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram, there was no way to connect with people. If somebody invited me to go anywhere in America that would mean further my relationships, I would be on the first Greyhound bus or the first flight to get there. So if I would go to Atlanta for a party, like BT Awards, there was an after party at a club or at a strip club, no problem, I'll be there, jump on the first flight just to go to a party. If I went, as long as I had access to it, right. I would be there. Did you ever like claim to be somebody else? No. Like to get in? No, <laughs> hell no. No, no, no. I was just like, I would just tag along with whoever invited me. So yeah. it's like, I'm in New York and Lotus was popping at the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so Daytona, the, I've known Daytona for a long time. Yeah. Tona would be like, Tona was fucking with his crew, um, uh, Lola New York, right? Okay. Which is a clothing line. Yeah. And so he'd be like, yo, my boy's got a table at Lotus. You want to come through? First Greyhound bus in 2006. First Greyhound bus out. I'd be at that party. I would stay in like a motel or a hotel in New York City and then I would be back you know, back to Toronto. Wow. And that was a party. That wasn't like meeting industry people, but I was in New York. I was getting to meet Daytona's friends and this person and that person. So Brooklyn, there was a Brooklyn festival one time, 2007. There were so many Brooklyn festivals. <laughs> but it was one where I met, the first time I met Ghostface Killer, I was with Graf. Graf was performing. Yeah. So I was like, you'll come through. And I was like, okay, 2007. Came down. I was crashing in Brooklyn at my friend's house <laughs> in Bed-Stuy and then went to this Brooklyn festival with Graf and that's where I met Consequence for the first time and I met um, Ghostface for the first time as well. So I would just go down wherever I could. So Atlanta, there was a BT Awards happen every year in Atlanta. been happening since 2006. Mm -hmm. So I, my first time in Atlanta was 2006. So 2008 is when I moved there. 06 was when I first went for BT Awards and then since then I went to Atlanta four times a year at minimum just to go for a party. If like a producer, if Polo was like, hey, I'm in the studio next week working with whatever artist, you want to come through? Yep. Mm -hmm. No problem. I would, I, w I never had a, like my job was always part-time. So I would leave, if I was in university and it was on a weekend, I'd go. So all the money I made, I literally would spend it on a flight or a hotel or whatever I could just to be there. Cause there was no Twitter, there was no FaceTime, there was no, Skype was the only, the closest thing, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I used to know a lot of the 
I still do know a lot of the Atlanta people's like drama, holiday. I've known them for a very long time. Yeah. Um, I brought holiday the first time in Toronto. I'm the one that brought him. DJ Infamous, I brought him to Toronto for the first time ever. Jason Jeter, Young Dro, Big Boy, um, Rick Ross. I brought them for the, in Toronto for the first time to do parties. Crazy. Because I was like, these are people that are popping in America. I'm going to write about them in Canada and I'm going to bring them. So I would write about them, do interviews. Like if I got a chance to interview Waka Flocka, I'll fly to Atlanta on a problem and I'll interview you. And then I'd come back to Toronto and people were like, oh shit, you know, do you know? There was no way to know people in Canada. So you tell somebody, I'm going to bring you into an international market, automatically they're like, I'm, yeah, you're my plug. So without knowing it yet again, I became the plug or the connector for Toronto Amazing. back when internet wasn't as accessible because people needed to get to the market also so, yeah go ahead no i just i love like you like us know the value of showing your face yeah like yeah. just being everywhere where you have just to be being there it's it matters so much yeah it does like i i remember so um like you know lola yeah i know lola like you yeah know, of course i met her here or there wherever. yeah i just i literally would just go wherever i could but like it would be i used to work with little x as well so mm -hmm. x had a company called uh, maximus entertainment so i used to be i used to do online marketing for maximus they did the biggest parties during carabana weekend yeah. in toronto so um maximus would be like i would i would come back from atlanta and me and taj was a creative director for x uh me and taj would talk and taj would be like okay so who's popping like what's going on and i'm like so listen, I just interviewed Rick Ross. Um, what do you think if we bring him down? It's like, well, can you get like, can you get a number on him? Yeah, let me call his manager real quick. I kept in touch with him. Mm -hmm. So I'd go back to them and be like, hey, do you want to come to Toronto for Carabana? I have an offer for you. They'd be like, yeah, it's international <laughs> market. Fuck it, let's go. Same thing with like Jay Jeter. Yo, I want to bring you to Toronto. We're doing a party for Carabana. Let's bring Young Dro and and Big Boy and me and Dro I remember like one time when I was in Atlanta, I was driving around with Eight Ball from Eight Ball and MJG, and I'm like, to this day, I sit here and I'm like, how did I even know all these people? Like, I don't even. I don't understand <laughs> how. <laughs> a waste of time with It's The Reels. 12 Days of Podcast is sponsored by our friends at Def Jam Recordings who have been steadily putting out the best hip-hop and R&B releases this holiday season. There's four projects I want to highlight for you guys as we get into the last days of the holiday shopping experience. First, Friday on Elm Street, the collaboration album between Fabulous and Jadakiss, which features bars on bars on bars over amazing production by Swiss Beats and a whole bunch of others, including friend of the podcast, Ted Smooth. Trip, the new album from Janae Aiko, which is now available on vinyl and features the songs Sativa and When We Were Young. The messaging and vibes make this the perfect gift for your loved one. Go get that now on vinyl. Bartholomew, the brand new album by the genius Jesse Boinkins III, featuring guest appearances by Sid, Bridget Kelly, Trinidad James, Melanie Fiona, and more. And of course, Pressure, the dope new project from the snowman himself, Jeezy. <laughs> Besides the fact that it has amazing features like T Grizzly, Puff Daddy, Two Chains, Rick Ross, Trey Songs, Tory Lanes, YG, Kodak Black, Kendrick Lamar, J Cole, and more, you know Jeezy <laughs> brings fire flames to his inspirational lyrics. This classic Jeezy <laughs> pressure is available everywhere you can stream music as well as jeezyshop.com where you can go right now and cop some exclusive merch bundles including the pressure hoodies that Jeezy's <laughs> been rocking on all of his media appearances. And don't forget, Jeezy's <laughs> Cold Summer Tour featuring T Grizzly is starting up in February and hitting 31 cities, so gear up for that. Make these holidays happy and celebrate the Def Jam way. You become... Toronto's sort of like mayor. I mean, you really. Well, not really. <laughs> but but 
you, did you feel like the sort of uh, tides changing? Did you feel like it was becoming more of a destination? Destination, yeah. Yeah, it became more accessible. That's yeah. really what it became. And um, I realized that when I was like, when I was. Um, not when I was doing. I, I don't. I don't know. I think when. Uh, I think when I started booking DJs. So I went. I started doing parties as well. Um, and then I would look. I would say, okay, the club has a two thousand dollar budget or three thousand dollar budget. Let me reach out to my DJ from Atlanta. You know, holiday at the time, for example, was doing was Gucci Mane's DJ. So mm-hmm. uh, Gucci Mane's popping. Hey, why don't we bring Gucci Mane's DJ down to Toronto to spin? And they'd be like, okay. When I started seeing the people that I was fucking with in Atlanta being brought to do other events, or when I was seeing similar. Uh, like similar events happening around the city that's when i noticed that it became okay people were reaching out to the same people and then when i was doing concerts and i was seeing the same artists being booked by other promoters or other people coming up doing events whether they failed or they succeeded it was it just became kind of like an open market for everybody to go to go to and it became one of those things where a lot of artists were trying to get into toronto um and they wanted to have the Toronto wave kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know, mm-hmm. and not just not just because we had amazing artists coming out of the city, but because our fans were diehard core supporters for some of these artists. So when my first Big Sean footage came out and he was crying at the Susie store and people saw that in America, they were like, yo, that's the kind of fans that live in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Oh, we all want to go to Toronto. We want to experience that, you yeah. know, and so he became a destination, not just for people to come and scout artists, but for artists to come and kind of connect with their fan base and create sort of a hype. I did French in 2011 with 2,500 people. French had never done a show. It was He was doing strip clubs in the Bronx right and so and in Atlanta like he was doing clubs he wasn't doing show performances so I did French did a full 45 minute set a full rehearsal he was like oh this is a show show I was like (laughs) yeah this is a show show but he did 2500 people you know what I mean so he was like I want to keep going back and after that French came to Canada every single year, twice a year, wow. three times a year sometimes to, to tour. So it became a destination city for fans and for um Was people. Was French the first artist that you would say you aligned with? No, because I worked with artists who I was already aligned with. I worked with French longer mm-hmm. um, or post-show. But everybody that I did a show with, I had a relationship with. Like mm-hmm. I didn't, it wasn't like I wanted to find somebody who was hot and popping and I wanted to do a show with them because I was trying to make money. Mm-hmm. I simply would find an artist that I think, like Big Sean, I, I was invited, I did an interview with him over, I used to have this interview, it's called iChat Sessions. And I interviewed Sean for my, one of my iChat Sessions. And uh, his manager at the time, Dillaman, said, yo, we have a show at ESLBs, you should come through. Hopped on the Greyhound, came through. <laughs> I think it was 2010 or 2011. I don't remember. Um, and I went to see him at SOBs perform, and I literally was like dumbfounded. Yeah. Yo, this is crazy. And I wasn't really doing rap shows like that uh, back in Toronto. We were doing parties, and but not really rap shows for underground indie artists or, or underground artists. Mm-hmm. So I was like, but I'm looking at the fans, and I'm like, I know what that fan is. I know who these fans are. I know where they shop. I know where they live. I know what they like. They're college kids. They shop at Stussy. They shop at Babe. They like this kind of brands. So I'm like, I want to do Sean in Toronto. Um, and I was like, hey, Dylan, can I book Sean in Toronto? I want to do his first show. And so, but I had a great relationship with Dylan, man. And me and Sean, like, I love him. He's yeah. a super dope person. So he really welcomed me like, yo, thank you for coming through. Like, you showed us mad love. So we did the first show in Toronto. And then I did Sean's second show in Toronto as well. So we did 500 people the first time around. Then three months later, we did 3,000 people. <laughs> you know? So, and he had just did my last, was the song with Chris Brown? Oh, yeah. He had mm-hmm. just yeah. released that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it like, 
it really became a partnership. It wasn't so much I'm doing a show so I can make money. It was every single one of my shows was a partnership. It was never I'm going to book somebody and do something and make money and we go our separate ways. So we, we know that the bigger shows that exist in Toronto, what are some of the smaller venues that uh, that were popping at the time? Um, so I did my uh, show with Rich Hill at Wrong Bar. Uh, which sold out, and, and that was amazing. That was in 2012. I did my first show with Sean at Revival. That was 500 capacity. Um, Revival was really cool for events. Uh, that's the first place I met Drake, actually. Hmm. That was 2000 and long time ago. <laughs> How remember. was that interaction when you met Drake? So, excuse me. It was cool. Um, I was hosting. I was at. The, I was a host at the time. <laughs> I had long hair, and I was hosting for this other rapper, uh, an event for this other rapper. And it was like, hey, this is Drake. Hey, nice to meet you. But it was very. So it was not five. Yeah. That's when it was. It was yeah. very long time ago. Um, I don't remember. Really you remember. just kept it moving. And no, we oh. kept in touch. Like we at MSN was popping at the time in AOL. So we talked after that, and it was like, hey, this little love from up Canada. Hey, what's up, Drake? You know, rapper. Mm -hmm. I pretty much knew everybody in the city. I just didn't talk to everybody in the city. Mm -hmm. Um, or like I knew every artist that was coming up. We we all knew each other. It wasn't like I knew them. We all just knew each other. That's dope. Or we knew of each other, and so it wasn't like. Oh, I'm meeting this new rapper for the first time. I was like, I know you. I've seen you around. We go to the yeah. same parties. Mm -hmm. We 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 party the same clubs. We know we, we frequent the same events. And so, hey, good to meet, finally meet you. Whatever. It's the same thing as here, really. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's what it was. When did you first meet a track? I interviewed him for Pop Canada, actually. Okay. <laughs> yeah, in 2005 or 2006. Mm -hmm. He was Kanye's DJ at the yeah, time. Yeah. So that's when I interviewed him. I don't know when I met him. I don't even remember when I met him. <laughs> but I met him post. Hip Hop Canada era. Right. When I was here more. <laughs> Can you give us a good Gabby story? Gabby? Yeah. No, I don't. There's too many stories. I can't even recall one very good one. My flight to Japan. We were flying from Japan. Japan or South Africa? A long South flight, Africa. Yeah. We were flying from South Africa and there was two seats empty. <laughs> And Gabby wanted to sit on the seat next to me. And I don't know if you know what Gabby looks like, He's but okay, he takes up room. And I was like, Gabby, just go away from me. I, well, I want to be by myself. Why are you trying to squish up with me? Dude, I got so heated. It was a long flight. It was like a 12 hour flight. I was so upset. <laughs> He's got one of the funnier Instagrams that exist. Like Gabby is, he has such a good heart. He has such a big heart. He is such a compassionate person. He is so awesome. It has been a privilege and it was amazing working with him. Yeah. He's literally like, a big brother, a mentor. You could really call him at any time. You can really talk to him about anything. I absolutely love him. What does French Montana mean to you? An amazing friend. Um, no, working with French. Right <laughs> <laughs> soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a positive influence in my <laughs> life. Now, um, <laughs> French is probably one of the... Uh, most positive people that I know and throughout the past I don't know how many years of us working together I've known him since 2007 by the way wow. um, well, through all the years of us like you know working together he has constantly just uplifted uh, me and people around him and he he always wants to do better so he's always just trying wanting to work harder and just always 
kind of pushing and striving to be better for not just him but for people around him and he's always just positive um, a lot of times we will bump heads because I would always be like French you gotta do this you have to do this and this has gotta be done like this and I'm I remember being on tour across Canada with him and I'm like no to everybody no no you don't go on stage get off the stage get off the side meanwhile he's just happy like yeah bro come on stage come on and I'm like no you don't go up there and so um, he's just like chill be happy it's a vibe we family so he's just very positive and he loves everybody and he likes to make everybody happy and he's very comfortable and he cracks jokes and if you see interviews of him they're so much fun yeah and then here's me <laughs> what screw face in the back what's the um, difference what's the difference between shot caller french and pop that french and unforgettable french unforgettable <laughs> yeah, 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 do like we miss that that does kind well, of i was gonna go even like yeah, yeah. well uh, shot collar French is strip clubs. Mm-hmm. Pop that is strip clubs. <laughs> no, pop that is Drake, Rick Ross, and Wayne, and live in Miami. So you go, you know what? I got this. I got it. What was the strip club that was popping here? Uh, Long time ago. Sin no, no, City. No. Sin City. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was never popping. <laughs> well, Sin City's been around longer than yeah. most. Yeah, yeah. Most strip clubs. So, shot collar French is Sin City. Yep. Pop that French is live in Miami. Mm-hmm. Unforgettable French is on tour with the weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a glow up. That's yeah, that's, pretty good. that's the glow up. That's pretty yeah. good. That's a hella glow up. Um, but mind you. The fans that love French still love Shot Collar French. Uh, yes, we oh, do. Yes, agreed. Yes. I 100%. still love Shot Collar French. I yeah. still love uh, Return of the Mac French. Oh, yeah. same. That's what. Same. That's my favorite yeah. song. The best. Okay, so obviously, like <laughs> everybody loves like Mark Morrison, but the well, better we version when the we when we Oxcore DJ somewhere and we put on that French version. People just like I do the same. It's the best. It is embarrassing, but I do no, do the same. No, it's not embarrassing. It's so good. <laughs> it's funny because people who don't know that that's a French record will like sing the Mark Morrison right. record, and I'm like, uh, no, yeah. No, that's who, by Montana. the way, is Canadian royalty, right? Really, so, I didn't know that. Mark Morrison? I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, right. I don't know. I'm possibly Google this I think and so. then I let's so. address Somebody it after. Somebody leave a comment. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to look it up. Um, what is the latest that French has been to an interview or event? Can I plead the fifth? <laughs> never. He's never late. He's early. He's on time. What are you talking about? Different artists. Also, so by the sorry. way, Mark Morrison's from West Germany and then, and then and, and England. So never mind. No, but he's Canadian royalty. Yeah, that, that they love is. him there. That's like David Hasselhoff in Germany. Oh, well, well then, okay. I don't know that. Um, when from you, Albanian. When I speak yeah. Italian. I was Sailor Moon. I don't know. <laughs> when, did you, when did you first meet uh, Julius Caesar? Oh That's my a goodness. Good question. That's <laughs> yeah. a really good question. Julius Caesar, I met him in 2014. Is he a well behaved monkey? What's the latest he's been to an interview? <laughs> <laughs> uh, never late. Yeah. Julius Caesar's always early, he's prepared. Um, he Is he a well behaved monkey? Well, he's a monkey. So, yeah, as far as monkeys go, I would say he's well behaved. Oh, but, um, yeah. Wait, when you were monkey. in Dubai, did you did you feed the same monkey that everyone was feeding? Like Biggs was feeding a monkey, and Julia Lang was feeding a monkey, and no, no, I didn't feed any monkey. No, no, no. no. I missed just out. missed wanna, opportunity. Not really. Let's go I, back to Dubai. <laughs> I like I was in the desert with four wheelers, and I, I was sat by the pool for a long time. Your Instagram I, stories are constantly great. Awesome, thank you. On those four wheelers, though, in the desert, yeah, though, that's pretty amazing. Jackie here would text me and be like, "Live your best life, girl. Love it." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll live my best life. No, it is. I landed in Dubai 
And all the times that like French or other people had been in Dubai, I had mm-hmm. never gone. And I landed in Dubai and I literally called my parents and I was like, thank you for bringing me to Canada. Aww. Like, because being like from the country I come from without being able to, I think when I upload pictures of Dubai to my Facebook, like my Albanian relatives will be like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Um, I could never fathom the idea that I would I would be in such a place. It is magical. It's almost like a dream. Mm. You literally land and you see the Burj Khalifa and you see this tall ass buildings and they don't have the same shape as like New York, you know? And the streets are like, there's no potholes anywhere. There's no bumps. Shit is, excuse me, smooth. Yeah. And there's like, mar- there's one street in the business district with like marble almost. Like the car is like rolling. It's like shining. It's like reflecting. It's so beautiful. And then you go to the Dubai mall and everything is pretty and pristine and proper and lit and like lit yeah, <laughs> literally yeah. literally so you're lit. like yeah and then you have like a fountain like a you have a uh, there was a show of like uh what are those things the sparkles what are they called um fireworks oh yeah mm-hmm. yes they have fireworks, uh, fireworks the gunshots yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah fireworks yeah. <laughs> they have like a fireworks show and like it's just so beautiful and the people are so kind like whether they're local people or whether they were immigrants working there because people were saying that everybody in Dubai is not from there like mm-hmm. the local population is really low right. um, the hotel I was staying at these people like literally ran at the chance to like take my bags and wow. I didn't even have a chance to be like no it's okay <laughs> I got it I was like okay alright mm-hmm, yeah and they were so nice it was like oh it was almost their honor or their pleasure to make sure that you were happy and you wow. were like good whereas here by here, I don't mean New York. I just mean here, even Canada sometimes. North here, America. Here, North yeah. America, even other countries sometimes. People are like, mm-hmm, yeah, what you want? <laughs> yeah, I got, yeah, I'll get the bags, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. I have Uber drivers who have lift, literally left me to take my bags out by myself. They haven't, haven't even helped me out. Mm. Like, there, that that wasn't happening. Well, I would just like to apologize. You should, on behalf of <laughs> yeah. all the population. Yeah, no, all well, Uber for, drivers. for, you know, being a bad Uber, Uber driver, please uh, rate me five stars next time. <laughs> yeah. I'll do better. <laughs> Belly is another friend of yours. Yes. And he had a hell of a year this year. He did. And and I feel like last year. And yes. what is the difference between Belly from ten years ago who is winning, you know, those Juno Awards and and now? I mean it, it it's Does not- he still care about the Junos? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm sure he does. That's not just the Junos. Um I think recognition is recognition no matter where it comes from, people appreciate it regardless. Um I think that uh the belly from then to the belly from now understands himself and his audience a little bit better. Um, and that's really all it is. Wow. So, and um, so that's why rock nation takes an interest and that's why the weekend takes an interest. And in well, no, the weekend, I mean, all those people kind of know him as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, Belly is an inf- has an infectious personality. He is so much fun. Also, <laughs> that's why he met French friends. Um, so, fun fact: French brought Belly out on that first show in Toronto that we did together in 2011. Wow! Yay! And he went to that Belly listening party that he did with the weekend was there in 2011 back then. Wow! Fun fact. Um, so, is that but, all through you? Partially, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but why? But. I think there is something about like knowing yourself and having that self-confidence that makes other people want to yes. work yeah. with you. He, Belly was always funny. Uh, he People just didn't see how funny and charming. He always made jokes. 
sometimes at my expense. <laughs> I love him anyways. <laughs> um, but he was just always very funny and charming, and I don't think that everybody got to see that. And so as he progressed and as he kind of like discovered what he, who he wanted to be or who he was through music, um, I think people kind of got a glimpse of how awesome he was as a person as well. And that's why people gravitated towards him and fans gravitated towards him. And I think he just... I don't want to say discovered the music he wanted to make. I think he always made amazing music. It just, he was a reflective of his state of mind at the time when he was making it. And so this year, it was a, it was all the thing, all those things combined together, the hard effort and work he put in and the music that he was making. And it, people just got a chance to really find out more about him as a person and his personality shown through um, in the interviews he did in the press and the shows um, partially Jackie's work here that's her project she's the project manager for my team on Belly um, and just like doing some of the right stuff and going to the right places and talking to the right people and him and The Weeknd have been friends since a long time seven, seven, eight, seven years wow. now maybe more um, and so they he, they have their friends first you know mm -hmm. um at rock nation i wasn't there when he signed so i don't i can't tell you but i mm -hmm. just know that the team at rock nation takes an interest in him because they actually like him they like working with him he makes it easy he's not a difficult guy you mm -hmm. know so um yeah i think that's that's that where were you when the weekend cut his hair i was not there <laughs> <laughs> i know that yeah i was surprised like everybody else <laughs> I saw it on social media. Okay. Sad to say. He didn't send me a selfie and say, Lola, I cut my hair. <laughs> well, no, or the video, right? Like, wasn't that... Was there a video? I don't know. I don't remember. Well, no, not the video of cutting his hair, but like actually... Oh, the, the music the video. Yeah, yeah, it was a video. Star, was it Starboy? Yeah, no. Starboy. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was it. Uh, no, um, I wasn't there when he cut it. I was. I saw the video like everybody else. How does it feel to, to watch all of your babies sort of grow up and become who they are? I don't know. Jeez, uh, that's a very loaded question. <laughs> um, it is exciting to be a part of that journey, and it's exciting to see how far people could go. Um, and I look forward to hopefully building more of that and just seeing more of that and seeing the culture where it's going. We were talking about this earlier from like the Chicago drill movement to um, some of the more commercial artists to what's happening now and just kind of seeing all those movements progress and being there in the first conversations and the first features and the first tweets and the first um, Instagram, like Twitter wars or whatever and shows and productions. That is so inspiring to me. Um, it's sad that years pass so fast, you know, mm -hmm. and it's sad that like, a lot of the times you can't get back those small and intimate moments, um, especially with like live shows, because the feeling you get at a live show and a person's first run is not the same as you get when you watch a big right. stadium performance. It's more finessed and refined. And even though when an er artist comes out early on and things are a little more hectic and not as properly presented or put together, they're like they're a little more authentic and raw, you know, and you kind of see that as a fan. And so when the person grows, it becomes bigger sure. well, what excites you these days nothing dead inside. <laughs> stop it yeah no that's, uh, that's that goth lola dubai yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> dubai four wheelers in the desert no yeah. i'm just joking uh living my best life yeah. no um what excites me to be honest is people um seeing young women being inspired by my story and young men really but young people people being inspired by my story and just not knowing that they could make things work for themselves and um, giving them a sort of like a stepping stone or a guidance that kind of makes me really really happy accomplishing things honestly putting a task and being like I did this 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 today uh, being creative coming up with ideas and executing them that's what makes me happy it doesn't have to be artists it doesn't have to be music mm -hmm. just 
getting ideas done and executing them really makes me happy. We didn't talk about this, but what is the first rap song that you loved? Uh... All the small things. <laughs> no, it was ludicrous. Not blueberry yum yum. It was uh, I wanna lick lick lick, lick you from oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, what song is that? And I wanna uh, move uh, to the dance to dance to the floor. Yeah. And I wanna uh, uh, you, you make so good, good I won't leave, but I gotta. No, 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 no. What's your fantasy? What's your fantasy? Yes, ludicrous and Ti, King of the South maybe mm-hmm. like those early on i can't remember the exact song i hope you told ti like when you saw him in la you're like yo like you know that was my favorite music yes no Why i didn't tell him no i didn't Again, tell him life is too short you should tell people no because it's like uh, it's not corny uh, i don't know i just don't remember I really... because i don't know for a fact that, that was missy elliott i was a huge missy elliott fan i can only think of artists and mm-hmm. era i can't mm-hmm. really think of like when mm-hmm. what the first song i heard was I really do. no dr dre okay it has to be dr dre uh eminem stan wow mm-hmm. those would probably be or jay-z yeah i don't remember but because those were earlier than the atlanta era right yeah that was like 2001 2001 dr yeah. dre was 2001 yeah and then when was ti's king of the south or what, what was, was, was like after. 2003 right yeah. It was like, yeah yeah so it was dre definitely first mm-hmm. and eminem um it was like that era i did oh i listened to exhibit I listened to there a lot go. of Exhibit and a lot of Snoop Dogg and a lot of Dr. Dre. So West did you watch yeah. Pin My Ride? Yes, I definitely did. In Italian? No, <laughs> in English. <laughs> um, I, I do want to go back to Toronto for a second because I'm getting Toronto artists by the loads coming to me. Like, sign me. I bet. Like so many. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just it's night and day between when you were starting your career in Toronto yeah, where it is yeah, now. Yeah. But it, it's still no. a destination, though. No, it's not. It's not. It's just a type of music is different, and the 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 the, the development of the artist. It's crazy. It's crazy because I'm like visualizing it right now. Back in 2005, when I was writing for when I started first writing for Pop Canada, it was the same landscape, but different clothing, different styles, different rap, different aesthetics, different everything. But there was still a hip hop culture. Yes. There. Yes. And now there's a lot more artists. They're just different type of rap. Totally. But it's the same shit. But Drake throws a whole weekend now. Right. No pun intended. Like that <laughs> that, that all of these artists. You may might want to rephrase that. Yes. Drake throws a whole weekend of OVO. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Correct. Just joking. Um, but the OVO Fest is something where all these rappers, all the ones you brought up have performed on his stage this is mm-hmm. something where it's like branded around him it is something where like all these artists flying from across the world to be there and all eyes are on that now that's got to be i'm sure satisfying on some level for you as someone who grew up there and saw what it was when there wasn't that spotlight there drake has an amazing team of visionaries around him that have been able to create some amazing concepts or awesome concepts um and, and bring magical moments to the city of toronto with every ovo fest i sound like i'm a spokesperson for OVO fest. <laughs> Uh, with every OVO fest and so like I said um, you know the Puff reunion tour before Puff went on tour the reunion was um, in Toronto him and Mace and to me that was like yo (laughs) mind-blowing and then obviously when he brought Jay out and brought Connie out and those were all magical moments so yeah what he's been doing with OVO has been incredible well we talked a lot about people that you do like now just list every single person you don't like (laughs) 
<laughs> that list is short. I can name like two or three people. Oh my god! I'm just joking. Me and yeah. Eric. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you guys are cool. <laughs> you guys are all right. Um, <laughs> can you can you talk I'm about? On air, I have to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, exactly. You're in our apartment. Can you talk about Lemon? Lemon is incredible. Um, she is a look at Jackie smile. She is a singer songwriter producer um, that I met in Toronto a year ago. I heard her music randomly through Twitter. Actually, um, I actually was asking people to send me stuff that they liked, and I found her and this other girl from uh, uh, Sudbury. I forgot wherever Justin Bieber's from. I think mm -hmm. it's Sudbury mm -hmm. and YouTube. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> and they were both incredible. And then I sat down at a at a dinner with some friends of mine and you know somebody just said why don't you manage I was playing her music and they were like why don't you manage her and I was just like okay <laughs> so me and John Manelli um, decided that we were going to partner together Amazing. and we were going to start we wanted to work on something together we just didn't have anything to work on at the time um, and so then I played her songs and I was like you want to do it he's like alright and so <laughs> we kind of I went met with her in Toronto I liked her vibe I flew her to New York she played me 50 records already written and recorded and I was like oh who produces she's like me who, who wrote them me who recorded them me oh, okay uh, <laughs> let's bring you back here so that you can you know do some more work and so she's been recording more and now we're ready to just really you know build her amazing yeah we're I'm, I'm excited about her and i'm looking to like find i want what i want to do is i want to do more creative things like i said not necessarily just artist driven of course I, yes i want to find the next big star and work with the next big, next big star but i really just want to create cool shit and yeah. i find that a lot of stuff is manufactured nowadays that a lot of brands, companies. When I went to Dubai, the, the key word that kept coming up was influencer, influencer, influencer. We have Still? a lot of influence. What? <laughs> Everywhere. The word influencer, companies, all they know is influencer. That's the word that comes up. You have 500, you have 1,000 followers, you're an influencer. I just told Jack, I said, you have 3,800 followers, you're an influencer, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Three times over. Get that, yeah. get that bread. Yeah. So it was like, oh, we have influencers. Like, I went to a hotel. We have influencers that come by and they love taking selfies at our hotel. <laughs> who the fuck cares know. you know what i mean you either have a good hotel or you don't you know yeah. and so um and plus like you can be an influencer all you want you gotta have clout <laughs> you have to actually i just asked that on my instagram and i was like what is an influencer like is somebody who influences somebody with followers like what makes somebody an influencer and so i was born um, an influencer i was born a goddamn influencer <laughs> yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> say no, it in italian <laughs> No, <laughs> I can't even say it in Albania. Yeah. The word influencer does not exist. I think I don't know if influenza. No, it does. I think no I, influenza. That, that's <laughs> the flu. <laughs> Gets you sick. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's appropriate. Sick. Yeah, Lola's pretty sick. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that influencers make me throw up. So that's about right. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I just I just want to do some really dope stuff outside of like the the term influencer and shit, and really just like find out what it is that matters to people. And and how um, to hone in on it and kind of create just cool vibes and make the artists a part of it. I love discovering artists that are just dope and just really good music and not people that everybody's just kind of like vibing with because they're cool. What I'm, what I'm starting to find out with baby acts is that the media doesn't really care to discover the newest, the latest shit. Everybody says they want to, mm -hmm. but they really don't. Right. Most writers and editors don't take a chance on just good music. Mm -hmm. um, I'm using parentheses. Um, is this parentheses nope. or quotes? Quotation marks. What is this? Yeah. What's yeah. parentheses? 
That's like, like this. this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quotation marks. Yeah, this is just really good English radio. is my third <laughs> English is my third language. Okay? I learned Italian watching TV, copy some slack. But you speak the Queen's English, right? I yeah. Yes, I speak the Queen's English. <laughs> so in quote I'm using quotation. Air, air, right. yeah. whatever when quotations. When you say recognize air quotes. An S. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, media say that they want to find the latest talent, but they really don't until somebody else co-signs it or like they get streams already or they're cool or they're, you know, somebody that they fuck with is fucking with them. It's really hard to find people influencers, media, tastemakers, whoever, who genuinely just say, I like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go out there and, and tell the world that I support it. Well, who shares that mind state with you, you think? Nobody. Jackie. <laughs> Hello, Jacqueline. Um, I'm building my team. The way I want to build my team is I even... I hopefully I, I hope that I can grow to a point where I can have an HR department and a company that actually does development for brands and creatives on the line. That's really my goal with Lola Media Group. Um, but until I get to that point, I want to be a part of every single person that comes and joins my team and every part of the, everybody that's a part of my family. Mm. I want them to have the same perspective and mind frame. And so when I get intern requests or people that want to work with me, the first thing I look for is how do you build how do you build the people like with the people around you? How do you treat people around you? What matters to you? You know, and so I I don't care who has the same mind frame as me as long as my team does. You know what I mean? So if the world has a thousand people that care about curating really cool shit and care about authentic shit, that's amazing. That's even better for everybody. I don't want to be the only one because then I'm fighting a battle that I'm never going to win. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to have other people like that. I don't. I'm not going to, you know, point out, oh, this person's like this. I'm sure there are people out there. What matters the most to me is that those people are on my team, you know, so. Are you still the same person who called up HMV and called up United Way and, and got everyone on board for that, that first show? <laughs> Fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're so... Uh, what we do at Lola Media Group is <laughs> build artists literally from the like. What we want, what I want to do is there's no task that's too big or too small. So if my team and I, or primarily my team, has to call every HMV in the country or every store in the country to carry or play my artist music, then that's what the hell we're going to have to do. So it's not. I'm not too big i'm not too popping popping i'm not too important to ever have a conversation with somebody or call somebody if that's what i have to do that's what i have to do mm -hmm. um and that's the mentality that i want everybody around me to have that's dope how important is it to you to build up your brand as opposed to your artist brand well see that has been the problem all these years is that i have had a brand and i've constantly put my brand in my back burner and what happens is that when you don't prioritize your brand and you prioritize the artist when you don't work with that specific artist anymore your brand goes to shit and you can't use your brand to develop the next artist so you're kind of fucked and so what i don't want to do is i think i'm an amazing person i think that i have some qualities that i can't explain um because it's in a different language <laughs> 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 no because <laughs> i can't explain those um, no i just I, I can't i don't know what makes me good uh, at my job or bad in my job but i know that i am special in a way at, at doing what i do and i don't ever want to forget that without me there's no them so i can't help anybody you know when you go on an airplane they say put your mask on first if i'm not successful i can't make anybody else successful mm -hmm. so because then your success is tied to that one person the reason why i don't i can be working with nobody right now and i can sit still still sit down and share my journey my stories and my experience with people and 
hopefully people give a fuck is because my I'm strong enough as a as a person and as a brand. So yeah, I um for the past however many years I focus on building others and I still want to continue doing that, but simultaneously I'd love to Link, well, I'm focusing right, yeah. more on building my brand. Yeah. What is the real definition of a manager? Well, no, I don't want to I don't even want to get into that because I don't I I can't say that I really know. You know what I okay. mean? Like I really just got into it. I think that people um <clears throat> different people have different I, I see a manager is really somebody, if you were able to answer your phone and answer some emails, you're a manager, basically. Because I've seen managers who all they do is just answer. Depending on who you ask, the task or the definition of a manager might differ. Um, I really didn't, I think that I've been doing it for a long time without realizing that I've been doing it. But I didn't actually have a title for it until recently. And I just discovered by working in it that, you know, you when you when you're when your artist is growing, you have to build character for them before before you build a persona because they're not... Some artists are just born stars and some artists are just regular kids and people who make amazing music, but they don't know the industry and you kind of have to shape them. And so you learn this like coaching and you become a mother and a nurturer and though I've been that person for such a long time you now are responsible for this person's success you're responsible for you know what they do when they wake up in the morning and how they're perceived the world and how uh, equipped they are to deliver the work that you need them to deliver and so there's this misconception everybody wants to be a manager and I just it's like I I want to do dope shit I don't just want to say oh I'm a manager you know like I don't care about that and I think over the years I've my my not giving a fuck attitude or my lack of giving a fuck hasn't given me titles and I've always just been the quiet person in the background because I've just always wanted to get shit done um so yeah I don't know I just I just want to put in the work but it's hard what do you think expectations should be not even for a manager for for a partner what do you think expectations should be from the artist side well I mean I think it's I think it has to be seen as a partnership recently somebody that manages another artist um, said to me that I manage this artist but I don't we don't look at it as management we look at it as a partnership because if I'm putting in my time and my money and they're not putting in not meeting me halfway with the same effort then there's no point of us being in this partnership so that's the way they look at it and that's the way I look at it not just a partnership with a partner that you're working with but a partnership with the artist as well and so when an artist gets into a management situation they should look at you know what are this person's expectations and am I going to meet them or what are our expectations together that's the first thing i look at if you're gonna if i'm gonna put in night and day of effort then you should be putting in the same effort and if you're putting in night and day and effort and i'm not putting the same amount of effort then fire me you know and most people don't like that term or that idea of like getting fired or parting ways or whatever the case is but it's like yo we're in this together like we're building a future here right i, I don't look at I don't look at the money. I should. I, I've never been a money person. Like, oh, I'm gonna make millions, and ah, I look at like, can I change the fucking way people think? Can I? Can I do some dope shit? Can I build culture? Can I? Wow, I was a part of that moment. Like, that's what I want to be able to say. You know? Well, people also need to understand that like time is way more valuable than money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like so to waste time. A little nod to our podcast. Huh? Uh, to waste time is even more damaging than to not get the. It's it's fr- it's honestly it's frustrating. It's like you sit 
on your ass and you were like yo what did i just spend the last five years doing or a year or whatever the case is and so yeah the expectation when going into anything it's it's a partnership and so i think that both people and it's not just management it's it's into anything really um is just what are our both combined expectations of this relationship and how is it going to work and are we both ready to put in the combined effort that goes into it and uh, sometimes when you manage an artist a brand or whatever it is um Um, you have to have the same vision um, and the same diligence and work ethics and meet each other halfway. And I don't think that people do all the time. Mm -hmm. Have you met Assad? No. No. All right. No, he was uh, New Year's last year. French was hosting with Khaled um, Mm -hmm. and Assad was asleep. Well, you know. Is it? Have you not met Assad because you don't want to meet Assad? You know what? Let's you don't want to meet your yeah, heroes. Just, uh, <laughs> I don't want. You know, I'm just scared he's not going to know who I am. Expectations. Just, yeah, I'm just. I don't. Um, oh, I was a little starstruck when I met Rihanna. I want to say there you that. go. Yeah, like, your like, your your fellow Puma. Uh, oh my god, I love. I just love. Are you kidding? Fellow what? I love her. I don't care what. <laughs> if I just I died. She kissed me on the cheek and was like, "I love you." I was like, "Oh my god, I love you." Oh my god, no, I love you. I never want to wash my. <laughs> she poured champagne for so me, um, but it wasn't like really pouring it for me. It was she more just like poured just it poured it, it in my direction on my airplane seat. Really? Yeah, on the seven 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 plane. She sort of just like threw. Oh, that's champagne. amazing! Yeah. Oh, you were there. You were a part yeah, of that. Yeah, it was uh, the worst, but but, <laughs> I, she, but she was great in that moment. <laughs> I heard some horrendous stories from that. My goodness, mm-hmm. uh, people still liked her though. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so funny because people hated that experience. And all the all the reviews from that experience were like horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, Rolling Stone. Yeah. Yes, that was you. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, that was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you're an asshole. <laughs> but but they nobody but like, nobody, yeah. nobody was mad at Rihanna for it. No, no, mad at Def Jam. Yeah, mad at, at somebody. You know, everybody was mad at the execution. Yeah. But it did not make her less of a star or no. less likable. No. From, because all, the, all of you guys are shit reviews. It wasn't yeah. like one person triumphed yeah. and said, I had an amazing time. It was like, we had no food. We were hungry. We landed and in London way, and nobody knew what we were doing. That is terrible. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> horrendous. That that. Oh, that was my experience with British Airlines recently. I just I wrote them this like four-page email last night. I stayed up to like... Well, not too late because I woke up really early. But yeah, I yeah. sent them a really long email and I was like, flight one, you did this. Flight two, you did <laughs> oh. this. Flight, I was so bad. So, so I get Did it. they respond? Not yet, no. but they will. That's a long uh, letter. It was very long. I was very, I was like displaced. Is that the right word? Where like you're, you miss your flight and you're like not in, like you're not catching your flights. I'm at the airport for 10 hours. Oh. I'm on like a 10 hour layover. Like that kind of sucked. The flight was delayed. I was, then I landed in London. I was there overnight. Then I had to wake up in the morning, delayed again, come back to New York. It was bad. So, yeah, I can I can really imagine. But what I'm saying is that even though those ex- those experiences and the reviews were so bad, mm-hmm. nobody got mad at her. People are like, Queen, no. we yeah. love you. She's the best. Come to Brazil. She's part, she, she, to pour champagne in my direction and I loved her even though that experience was horrendous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so that was maybe the only time that I like was like, Rihanna, oh my God, I love her. Yeah. That's about it. Uh, Kim, oh, meeting Kim and Kanye was really cool too. Kim is so nice. Really? Like, have you have you guys ever had experiences? No, no. I, I've heard that she's like really, really nice. I was at the premiere of Famous, uh, the video that yeah. Kanye did at uh, LA, in yeah, LA yeah, yeah, at yeah. the 
uh, whatever the, the theater is. Yeah. And uh, we were by the stairs. Everybody was going to go in. And Kim had just arrived. And she walked out of the car. And it was me and uh, French's videographer at the time, Denise. We were standing kind of like to the side, like by ourselves. Like we were just like, oh, we don't want to be in the way. Yeah. And uh, she literally walked up the steps, walked up to us. She's like, hi, I'm Kim. Nice to meet you. And I'm like, I know who you are. <laughs> like, <laughs> hi, I'm Lola. Nice to meet you. She's like, hi. And then to Dee, she's like, hi. And with like a sweet voice. And Dee was like, hi. And Dee was like, yo, she just introduced herself. I was like, yeah, I know. That's crazy. <laughs> we're like, it was, she was so nice. That's and awesome. We're literally backstage and we're eating popcorn and French is uh, on Ramadan. So he's fasting. Mm -hmm. So he can't eat. And she's like, really? And she just <laughs> didn't. It was like so um, she was just so down to earth and so cool, and I just didn't expect that. I I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. you don't know. You don't. I don't. I don't know. So that was. I wasn't starstruck. It was just like I was surprised. And yeah, that's awesome. Kind of like wow. So why is it I love Lola .net and not I love Lola .com? Okay, it's I love Lola .net because I love Lola .com used to be a porn site, ah, <laughs> and I couldn't buy it, and I didn't want to direct people to that. Well, no, it's not even just. It was. I'm sorry. I L O V E Lola. Dot com yeah. was a porn site. Right. So I ended up in the dot net was Wait, taken as well. And so that was not your site? <laughs> your site was not ha, the porn site. Ha. No, I, listen, there are people out there who are listening who are wondering, you know. No. Which and which. I don't think, I don't know if it exists anymore, but it used to be a porn site or like some sort of fantasy seduction <laughs> shit. I don't know. So it was I L O V E L O L A dot com. And then. It really should have been dot com. <laughs> You're <laughs> Thank <fucking> you. <laughs> Well, whatever. You kind of made if a big I point find of that, the yeah, own, yeah. if I find the owner of that old site, I'll send them over <laughs> yeah. to you and give them some pointers. <laughs> but yeah, and so I made I L U V L O L A, mm -hmm. and the dot com of that was taken as well. So I did I L U V L O L A dot net, and now I own here you are. dot com yeah. and all of them. Oh, do you really? Yeah, I L O V E I L U V all of that. All yeah. of that. I own it's all of that. <laughs> I'm building my fucking empire. <laughs> Fuck your porn site. <laughs> Lola, we're trying to get up to Toronto very soon. And when yes. we do... Call me. We're going to call you and we want to go out for coffee and hamburgers. You got it. We can go to A&W. <laughs> we have to go to every single HMV. <laughs> yes, we can go and do some ground work at HMV. Yes, you well, got it. Congratulations on everything. Thank you. Everything you've done, everything that you're doing, and everything that you have on the way. Thank you. And we're really, really happy that you finally stopped by the podcast. I'm so happy I was here. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Lola. Thank you, guys. Wait, no outro? That's, that, that's your outro that's that you guys it. do? Yeah. So you do a really cool intro, and then your outro is, thank you very much, bye-bye. No, we, but we meant it in our hearts. No, no, I know. I want a punchline. Yeah, I want a punchline. I was like, that was Lola. I love Lola. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with It's The Real. Jeff, people want to find out more about us, we're It's The Real. If people want to find out more about this podcast thing of ours, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. If people want to know where they can get tickets for our upcoming show at SOBs on January 10, 2018, where can they go? You can get all of your tickets to our SOB shows and, honestly, all upcoming shows at itsthereal.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L, no apostrophes, no spaces. If you want to listen to our podcast, old episodes, new episodes, any episode you want it is on itunes search for a waste of time with it's the real we are also on soundcloud.com slash a waste of time if you want to listen to our music it is on every streaming platform including spotify google play pandora title all of them go search for teddy bear fresh by it's the real on any streaming platform including soundcloud.com slash it's the real if you want to find us on the internet we are on 
Facebook at It's The Real, Twitter at It's The Real, Instagram at It's The Real, on Snapchat we are It's It's The Real, and on Twitch we are It's The Real, It's The Real. Jeff, you know that this podcast will not go anywhere, no matter how far we push it, unless you guys, our loyal listeners, spread the word. So, we like to take the initiative and shout out one, two, or eight of you out there in the hopes that you will tell just one friend. Tell one friend about this podcast and you have done your job today. So, Jeff, which friend do you want to tell? I don't have anybody specifically, but I do want to shout out the dozens of people who reached out to us on our Instagram live, especially, and um, emails and messages and everything uh, following the news of yesterday with Combat Jack. And the community that we've built here, we so appreciate all of our fans, everybody out there who has hit us up for various reasons in the past day. And, um, and we just want to say we thank you. Perfectly said, Jeff. One time for our guy, Reggio said. Combat Jack, Reggio say, yes. man, we really appreciate thank you coming. You. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate and coming with gifts. Yeah, yeah you man. brought cookies, man. Come on, man. You got to be internet you guys gotta be gracious man. what's your fucking humility where did you who raised you come on man let's Yo, bring some class to the game shout out to your parents for raising you right no thank you, know you. i really appreciate that yeah, um, where can people follow you on twitter uh at combat underscore jack but yeah. you can find me at you know the combat jack show on um itunes on uh, soundcloud has yep. been a great partner stitcher just look us up google me use your googles you bastards <laughs> Find Combat Jack at Sky Barn up in Syracuse. Yo, yo. Sky Barn high on Mescaline. Yeah. 57th Street Combat Damn. Jack. Yeah. Internet's don't do drugs. <laughs> I did that so you wouldn't have to go through that. Yo. No, but it got you into college. I know, right? It got me into law school. Yo. Mescaline. <laughs> Mescaline got you yo, into law school. I just hope I don't get my dean in trouble. Yo. <laughs> Thanks, Reggie. Thank you, guys. As always, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Yes, we're back with Peter Rosenberg. This episode of the 12 Days of Podcast has been sponsored by the good people of Def Jam, who have dropped Jeezy's Pressure on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, Pandora, and on JeezyShop.com. Go get some merch. Go cop some tickets to his cold summer tour with T Grizzly. Go write a thousand Instagram comments on how you hope Jeezy's coming to perform in Brazil. Jeezy's got some amazing features on this album, and so do we on our episode tomorrow with Peter Rosenberg.